Hello and welcome to Yudcast, episode 69. This is Head of School Dan Glass with you once again, recording live in the Sound Lab here at the Brandeis School of San Francisco. And it is a kind of foggy spring Thursday morning here. Uh, we've just had our first grade tefila, and um, uh, I'm excited to, to share here on the Yudcast some of what I shared with our students this morning. But um, in, in the remarks I was preparing for our kids, I was uh, thinking about this poem um, on imagination by the poet Phyllis Wheatley, who was um, a, uh, an African-American um, slave in the late 18th century whose life spanned the, the time period of the Civil War. Um, and she kind of became um, a part of the kind of narrative around um, the need for uh, ending slavery and a, a kind of a voice for the, um, the soul and the humanity of uh, slaves um, by virtue of her poetry, which was um, uh, has endured to this day. She is in some ways, she's the, the first... Uh, black American um, to have published a book of poems. Um, and anyway, I'm going to talk a little bit about this poem on imagination, but it made me think about for um, the start of today's Yudcast, because we do like to start with a poem. Um, I have this really amazing little um, broadside that I found in a, um, in a used bookstore uh, I think may have been Copperfield Books in Petaluma. I can't remember where it showed up, but it's um, it's it was printed by Broadside Press uh, in 1969. It's called Black Poetry, a supplement to anthologies which exclude black poets. And it um, what it does really beautifully is kind of span um, uh span the Harlem Renaissance to the black arts movement. And it is very much itself an artifact of the black arts movement. Um, and uh, there's some really, uh, really incredible pieces in it. Um, you know, represented is everyone from um, Nikki Giovanni, uh, Amiri Baraka when he was still named Leroy Jones, Claude McKay, Clarence Major, Gene um, Toomer, um, as well as Gwendolyn Brooks. And I thought to start with this Gwendolyn Brooks poem. Um, Gwendolyn Brooks, of course, is best known for uh, We Real Cool, um, that, uh, you know, um, that poem, it ends, uh, We Jazz June, We Die Soon. Um, and it's kind of a, uh, a I don't know what, a, a jazzy kind of anthem to African-American youth um, and, uh, and the kind of precariousness of African-American youth. Um, this is a, a poem from, uh, of hers from a, a book of her selected poems uh, that was published in 1949. The poem is called First Fight, Then Fiddle. First fight, then fiddle. Ply the slipping string with feathery sorcery. Muzzle the note with hurting love. The music that they wrote bewitch, bewilder. Qualify to sing threadwise. 
Devise no salt, no hempen thing for the dear instrument to bear. Devote the bow to silks and honey. Be remote a while from malice and from murdering, but first to arms, to armor. Carry hate in front of you and harmony behind. Be deaf to music and to beauty blind. Win war, rise bloody, maybe not too late, for having first to civilize a space wherein to play your violin with grace. Um, I love that little poem. Uh, it, it, it's got a lot of the same kind of staccato musicality uh, of We Real Cool. Um, but just the, that, that notion of having to fight for a space in which to claim the aesthetic, right? That's first fight, then fiddle. Begin with the war, with the, the fight to, to have that space and then inside of it, um, you know, to be able to, uh, to play your violin with grace. It's, um, it's a really powerful statement, I think, about um, not just African-American artists, but um, all marginalized artists um, and all marginalized peoples, frankly, uh, who need to claim spaces um, in order to be fully human within them. Um, so all of it, it, I hope it will be clear why all of this came to mind momentarily. Um, but these are the, uh, the remarks that I shared this morning. First graders, these cedarim or prayer books that you have received today tell a story. They tell a story of many different people in many different places and times sharing similar moments. Often I think of the moments in the story of this Sidur in terms of gratitude, being grateful for the morning, for food, or for the gift of having arrived at just this experience right now together. It is not a stretch to call these prayers acts of mindfulness, practices that call our attention to the smallest and the grandest things, to breathe, to sit, to be alive. But there is a different part of the story that I want to highlight for you. And it's one we don't always think of when we think of our Cedarim. There's a story in here as well about imagination, about thinkers and songwriters and poets and artists seeing their worlds with new eyes and adding their visions and their voices to the Jewish tradition, to the words of these books. I've been thinking about imagination recently thanks to an interview I heard with Philip Roth, a pioneer of Jewish-American literature who passed away this week. In this interview, Philip Roth talked about becoming a writer and described an ethical purity to his early work, which involved being true to the word as he heard it in his mind, being true, as he said, to the imagined thing. Being true to the imagined thing. What a beautiful notion that we can imagine something, and that act of imagination also implies an ethics, that we maintain a fidelity to that imagined something. Then the creative act is wrestling that imagined thing from our minds onto the page or the canvas, into three dimensions or into code, wrestling with it until we know we have expressed its truth. And the wonderful thing about imagination is that it transcends limits. Imagination goes outside of the lines, off the page, past the end of 
the sidewalk. The 18th century poet Phyllis Wheatley, another pioneer of the African-American literary tradition, wrote to imagination when she said, we on your pinions can surpass the wind and leave the rolling universe behind. From star to star, the mental optics rove, measure the skies and range the realms above. There is one, there in one view we grasp the mighty whole, or with new worlds amaze the unbounded soul. Imagination takes us past the universe, beyond the heavens. Imagination allows us to grasp the mighty whole, the echad in the Shema prayer that says Adonai, the universe, all people are one. And perhaps most importantly, imagination allows us to envision new worlds. Because Brandeis students, let me tell you, now and always we need new worlds. First graders, you are part of a chain from eighth grade to first grade, from yourselves to your parents, from your family to your ancestors, but it is a chain also of imagination, of imagining and reimagining what these words might mean, what the words are that we should share, imagining and reimagining this world and new worlds and the mighty whole of all of us. First graders, Brandeis students, what I want you to remember from this morning is that there is an ethical imperative in that act of imagining, one that reminds you to be true to what you have imagined. So my wish for you then is this. May, al may you always be true to that imagined thing, to the words and the worlds in your minds and hearts. And in so doing, may you write new stories for yourselves and for our books, and may your souls be forever unbounded. And I will just say uh, amen to that wish, though it is my own. Uh, may it be so. May it be so for all, for all of our kids and for all of us who love them. Um, Shabbat Shalom to anybody listening on Shabbat. I hope you all have weekends full uh, of imagination, um, full of unbounded souls. Uh, and thank you for being with us here on the Yudcast. We'll be with you next week. Go Dubs. Go Dubs.